0: It's a Super Sunday. We have them once a year. They're all unique, and not any of them are really unique. They are, at this point, all over-advertised, over-glamorized, and over-publicized. You never know who's going to win, or yes, you might. The reality is Super Sunday is very describable, isn't it? You know, for two weeks, all the sports news you're going to hear almost. This is about 90% about the Super Bowl and what it's going to be. And here's what it's going to be. It's going to be a game that starts about 5.30 after a lot of talk. (laughs) And after a lot of talk at 5.30, the game will begin, and it'll last the same amount of time that all the other football games have lasted, except halftime will be longer. They'll have a lot of new commercials, so enjoy. They're all meant to deceive you and trick you into buying their stuff. (laughs) But they do it in a good spirit. Trying to entertain you along the way, so it's not just a game that entertains you, it's advertising as well. It'll be over about the normal time, and when it's over, somebody will be the Super Bowl champion, and it'll last for about a week. They'll talk about it some more, and then the people who won will talk about it for a year as the reigning Super Bowl champs, and they will be trying to repeat, and you'll hear a lot about that. Very predictable. But there is another game that's being played that is not as predictable in many aspects. And it is a game that doesn't occur just on Sunday or one Sunday out of the year, but it's a game, if you will, or a contest, more aptly described, that takes place every day and every hour in people's lives. And that is a contest between those who would follow Christ and those and that which would prevent those who would follow Christ from following Christ. Some people recognize this contest some people don't. Some people think that some preachers talk about it too much. Some people think that some preachers talk about it too little. And not everybody agrees on even the text we just read. And yet, there's not a more important text in the idea of discipleship in the scriptures than this text. Now, it is impossible for me to talk about engaging and establishing A path of discipleship for people without also talking about equipping them in order to walk that pathway. After someone has discovered their faith having been engaged by the Holy Spirit through other people, then they begin to take courses. They begin to go to worship. And quite frankly, this is where the church excels in United Methodism. We know how to establish faith. If you will just come, we'll teach you the Bible. We'll have Sunday school. When the rest of the church quits having Sunday school, the United Methodist Church is still having Sunday school. I know the Baptists do it better, but I'd rather not admit it in public. (laughs) They just have this small group thing in Sunday school down pat. But they don't have it down pat any better than we do here. Our our percentage of people who go to Sunday school in this church is outstanding. You have outstanding teachers to help you establish your faith, to help you understand it through discovery in all kinds of ways. And in the end, after that faith has been established, then you begin to actually own it. It becomes yours. And that is where the church experiences difficulty, typically. That is where Christians typically experience difficulty. Because, you see, after they have that faith and they have their ticket, not to pick up their child, but their ticket to get into heaven, we feel pretty good, don't we? I mean, we know where we're going when we die. And that can become terribly important, correct? Correct. I thought some of you might have missed out on that. I didn't want you to miss it. Because you just never know when your ticket is going to be punched. You never, ever know. People who are so young die every day around this world. Small children, small babies, young adults middle-aged adults, men and women of faith with families, those who are expecting death to come. We all know death is coming. We just don't know when death is going to arrive. I know some of you are still young enough that you're not convinced you're getting older. I know that feeling because I still feel that way too. (laughs) As long as I don't think about my body or how it feels when I get up. Or how it feels when I'm trying to do something with my four-year-old grandchild. Or how long I'm able to walk carrying my three-month-old grandchild who likes to be walked. Let me repeat, she likes to be walked. (laughs) Especially certain times of the day. It's the only thing that makes her happy. And she is now more able to express her displeasure (laughs) when life does not make her happy. Did I say she's... Yeah, I did, didn't I? You know, life that we live in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel feast we celebrate today, is not one of those things you need to shout about. It's one of those things you need to talk about. It's one of those things that people need to understand and comprehend so that the work of being being equipped to serve and to live can occur. And that's done... In the quiet times in life, most of the time, it's done in the study of the scripture. It's done in the company of others, usually, where someone is mentoring you and helping you to understand this gospel path. So that you'll understand that just getting saved is not what this is all about. But remaining strong, remaining strong and living in your salvation experience is meant to be a lifelong continuous experience. It's meant to help you when you're at the doctor's office and the doctor comes back and he says, I have bad news to deliver to you. It's meant to strengthen you when you're in the struggle and stress of temptation and trial. Something you just think you have to give into, and you're wondering, should you? It's meant to come to you in those moments so that you're equipped to live life on a different level than other people. The worst witness for the church... It's people who call themselves Christians and they're living out there in life just like everybody else. That is absolutely the worst witness for the church. It's not no witness at all, although that's bad enough, but someone who is claiming to be Christian and living like they're not. It does so much harm to the body of Christ and to the work of the kingdom of God. And a lot of times we're doing harm out of our own ignorance. We think we're impotent in the face of temptation. We oftentimes even claim it in jokes that they tell on TV or about our own life. Well, I am, after all, just a sinner saved by grace. Okay, you may be just a sinner saved by grace, but you're meant to be much more than that. You're meant to be a holy sinner saved by grace who is conquering sin in their life at a l- different level as they move on and on toward their final reunion with Christ in heaven that will be continuous and forever. Now this idea that we're all sinful is really caught on. Have you noticed that? We, we kind of enjoy this idea that well, everyone's just a sinner anyway. That's what a preacher always tells the SPRC when they're trying to tell the preacher to straighten up. And the preacher says that just like you do. You know That person you live with all the time, when you catch them doing something, well, I can't help it, Mom, I'm not perfect. Have you ever heard your teenager say that? If not, it's just because your teenagers are barely teenagers. Because soon they will be telling you often, I'm not perfect. And then they'll get old enough to get in real danger themselves. They'll say, and neither are you. (laughs) Remember, dangerous territory. You may be right, but being right is not always a good thing. (laughs) Sometimes you can be right and be wrong. And it's that way with Christ. Sometimes when we face temptation, we want to be right. So, we're am like just a sinner. And Jesus is whispering in your ear, yes, but you're meant to be equipped not to keep failing. I know we all struggle. We struggle in different ways. We struggle badly. Some of us struggle with things that others find no struggle at all. I don't know why we're created that way as humans, but we are. We evolve. And as a species, and as we evolve as a species, some things that are hard for me, are so easy for other people. And oftentimes, people for whom things are easy don't have enough patience with those who are struggling in an area where they're struggling with. For instance, I'll give you a good illustration. Are you ready for this one? This one will shock you. I don't know why anybody really drinks alcohol. I really don't. You say, well, why? Because it tastes awful. That's the first thing. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, yeah, but you've got to get used to it. You gotta get used to it, you know. I got used to spankings as a small child, and then I got spanked harder. Yeah, you know. Get used to it. It smells like things that a country boy always identified with on a hot day. When you lived out, in the, when you lived out in the country, you knew what some things smelled and some things didn't smell, and you tried to stay upwind of things that were unpleasant. Now, having said that, I have a lot of friends who enjoy the taste of some kind of spirits that are a little more spirited than Diet Coke. I get that, and they really like it. And I, I would make a great Baptist, quite frankly, because I'm really pretty much a teetotaler. And uh, not not just in words, but in practice, too. I do take some sips of alcohol because it's mandatory at weddings. You know, you've got to toast this and toast that. I try to get as small a cup as... And I barely let it touch my lips because I don't like the smell of it. I try to hold my breath, do other things I can, you know. But you need to be social and respectful, so I do that. I'm not an alcoholic. I am so proud. I don't know why anybody's an alcoholic. They ought to just quit drinking that stuff. I don't drink it. I don't really have a desire to drink it. Oh, yeah, I don't really like it, do I? Does it require any effort for me really to say no to alcohol? No. None. None whatsoever. But those other people, they ought to get strong. Now some people think it's a sin to eat apple pie. (laughs) I can't imagine that. I can't imagine how anyone could ever get too much apple pie. Chicken fried steak. mashed potatoes with gravy. Hot yeast rolls or... Corn on the cob. I see some people sit down to a delicious meal like that, leave half of it on their plate. Now that's a sin. <laughs> it's clear to me that that's wrong. You should not do that. You certainly you should at least take it home and eat it again later. Some people think you eat too much food. I can't understand that. I can't understand that at all. I read somewhere in Scripture once somebody's having a bad day and they thought you shouldn't eat too much food. They, they called it gluttony. They said, well, you shouldn't do that. You know, you know, gluttony even applies to work. You can actually work too much, you can actually exercise too little. You can actually appear clean on the outside and inside have a very dirty cup. Some people don't understand young men growing up how hard it is for them to keep the inside of their cup clean. Especially young women can't understand that often. Because the the temptations to the two individuals are different. The developmental stages are different. Everyone is alike in some way or other, and everyone is different in other ways, right? You could ask my wife if she gave a lot of time and thought to it. She could tell you two or three things in my life where I'm sitting regularly. If she worked a really long time, she might come up with a fourth thing. And, of course, I could never think of anything she's doing wrong in her life. <laughs> if you think I'm going to make a bigger joke about that than I just did, you're wrong. Because <laughs> I'm going home for a Super Sunday with my, just my two daughters and my two grandchildren, and I don't want anybody mad at me today because I intend to watch all that ball game <laughs> while I'm reading a book. I don't really care who wins. But this scripture says, be strong in the Lord. Here's what I want to share with you, and then we're going to receive communion. It's just this. The discipleship pathway has to equip the people who are following the path. You can't get equipped once and stop getting equipped. It's a continuous thing in that circle as you go around it. You'll continue to own and re-own your faith as you get equipped and learn to serve. Because as you get equipped, that's when you're going to be ready to really start serving at a whole new level. But you can't get equipped enough in high school that you're ready to serve like a 70-year-old. You can't do that. It's not possible. You also can't get equipped when you're 13 in the same way you can as when you're 70. Some things have to grow in us. The gospel is like that. So is being equipped. That's why this circle is a round circle. We'll keep trotting around it all our lives experiencing these discoverings and these ownings and these serving and these mentoring things that you'll hear about later, next Sunday, actually. But the reality is this engaging as well and this establishing and this equipping and then even that empowering that the Holy Spirit does for us are cyclic in our lives that don't all occur just once but occur over and over again in different ways that's why today I ha- had to focus on this passage. And there are about ten sermons in this passage of Scripture in these ten verses. But I'm just going to preach one. You'll be thankful for that. I know it. Here's what it is. You've got to be equipped to live. And here's why. Because there's an enemy that is constantly trying to thwart your efforts to follow Christ. Some people call the enemy the devil. Some people call him the evil one. Some people call him just an evil spirit. Some people don't like to, to refer to evil at all. They just say it's hard to do what's right. I'm not trying to tell you how to think about the scriptures. I know what it says there, and you just heard it. It says the evil one. I know we don't live in the same day and age they live. I know I'm a simplistic person. I got a savior. I got a guy who's not my savior. You don't have to have that guy if you don't want him. But you just can take evil as your approach. But if you tell me you don't know anything about evil, you are not telling me the truth, or else you're very... Even my four year old grandson knows when he's being evil. Evil is a constant temptation to us all in one way or another. And we are meant to be equipped early on to begin the struggle so we might stand in its face. We are not meant to be overcome by the evil in our lives, but we are meant to be overcomers instead. We do not struggle against, simply against flesh and blood but against the evil that is in our world. And until we understand that, we cannot be fully Christians. That's why Wesley nor I could understand how people want to separate sin as being individual sin versus societal sin. It's all evil. It all must be stood against. Sometimes very conservative Christians get uncomfortable with the liberal friends because they describe their liberalness as being very active in societal issues. And there are some churches that just aren't very active in societal issues. How can we not be interested in the things that are evil in our systems of government and in the way we run our nations worldwide? How can we call ourselves followers of Christ and resist looking at injustice in the eye? What difference does it make? Why do you think the employees wanted to come from Kmart? Kmart, is that right? Thank you. Target, that store. They know who they are. To celebrate the death of one who did not have a church, church in this church, it was because on the day when they all were working, and most of America was all shopping. Our church representatives went there and provided food for them throughout the day. So when evil struck their community of workers, they needed a place to celebrate life. And they didn't know where to go except to reach out to the people who had already engage them in an act of love by offering them food, by showing that they cared when the rest of the world only wanted to get in line and be taken care of as quickly as possible. Societal evil is real. Death is individually real, and it is evil. God never intended us to die. Adam and Eve were meant to live forever. They just messed up along the way. If it just wasn't for that Adam and Eve couple, feels so good to say that. I like it. And then I get in front of the mirror, and I see all the church members I've ever had, and I remember that they're all Adam and Eve. Yeah, I'm right in the middle of all that, in front of that mirror. We all are Adam and Eve. We all fall far short of the glory that God intended us to fall. Now let me ask you this. Are you falling because you're not equipped? If you're falling because you're not equipped, it's because you don't understand or you've not taken advantage of the power of the full armor of God. Paul says we've got to put on the full armor of God. There's another sermon I'm not going to preach. But just what does a full armor represent? It represents truth, verses 14 through 16, righteousness, faith, and the readiness to move. It represents in verse 17, salvation. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It represents in verse 18, prayer. If we want to be equipped to stand against the temptations of the evil one, all we need to do is to wear the full armor of God consistently. Now that's a military image and some people are uncomfortable with it. I happen to not be. Some are. Pick you another image, but they're all going to mean the same things. All of these words are words that describe relationship. They describe covenant. Listen to them again. Think about them. The truth is spoken by whom? Who is the truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who provides for our righteousness? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it that we have faith in? It is Jesus, the Son of God. Who is it that calls us by His Spirit to be ready to reach out and take the gospel of peace to the whole world? Is it not the Christ through the Holy Spirit? Is it not that person, this person, whose presence is represented at this table? Is it not this relationship of salvation that has provided us with this truth and this faithfulness and this righteousness wherein we stand? Is it not the sword of the Spirit of the Word of God? That helps defend us against the evil one. Is it not the very word of God that came from the mouth of Jesus? When he's in the wilderness he said, get away from me. Is it not the armor of God that is represented in the same person of Jesus. Who prayed to his father constantly and consistently. On behalf of us and others and even himself. When we talk about the armor of God, we're talking about what's provided for us in Jesus, whom we have come to celebrate today at this table. So my brothers and my sisters, if you have not yet learned to put on the armor of God, then you have not been taking advantage of the armor of God that is at your disposal. You need not only to be established in it, you need to own it and be equipped by it. So that you become ready to live life. Yes, I know the serving is coming, but let's—I don't know that being equipped helps you to serve. But I just want you to be able to live your life joyfully and triumphantly. You're not going to win every battle because you're human. What should your batting percentage be? I don't know, but I expect a teenager to lose more battles than I do a forty-year-old adult who's been in church all their life. I expect the battles to be different. I expect them to be at a tougher level because they're maturing in their faith and the smaller things have gone away. That's what I expect. I expect as you grow older that the maturity as you circle the path of discipleship will become so strong that sometimes in your life the devil will approach you. Oh, that one that you don't believe in, the evil one, or the presence of evil temptation will approach you and as that approach gets close, the devil takes a hard look and goes, I'm not fighting that dude. Look at all that armor. I'm leaving that woman alone because she can't be messed with anyway. It is a waste of my time. That's what Satan said when he departed from Jesus in the wilderness. But he also said, I'll return. I'll be back. And he lost again when he confronted Jesus. We need to be equipped, and the church needs to equip us so we can follow Christ.